Hey y'all, I wanted to start the show by announcing that Unjust and Unsolved now has a Patreon. I'll be putting out bonus episodes and interviews and offering live Q&As plus more. Joining Patreon shows us how much you care about this show and helps us continue to tell these stories. So please consider joining. We really, really appreciate it. My name is Maggie Freeling. I'm a journalist and producer, and this is Unjust and Unsolved a podcast about people who I believe are wrongfully incarcerated for crimes that are actually unsolved. You've surely heard stories like these on the news, but the thing is, the ones you've heard about barely scratch the surface. The Innocence Project gives a conservative estimate that about 20,000 innocent people are currently locked away in U.S. prisons. After reading some of these stories, I felt compelled to do something. So I sent 20 letters to people who are locked up despite evidence pointing away from them. Some responded through mail, some emailed, and some called me on contraband cell phones. But all wanted their stories to be heard. So I left my public radio job and decided to do just that. In each episode, I speak with those people, their loved ones, supporters, and lawyers, to shed light on how they wound up incarcerated for decades despite the evidence, and how that means the crimes they were convicted of are still unsolved. This week, I'm telling the story of Jeff Havard. To Jeffrey Havard and the murder of six-month-old Chloe Britt. February 21st, 2002, Jeff was babysitting his girlfriend's six-month-old daughter, Chloe. When Jeff's girlfriend returned home, Chloe was having trouble breathing, and she was rushed to the hospital, where she later died. Her cause of death was listed as shaken baby syndrome. On December 19, 2002, Jeff was sentenced to death in Mississippi for rape and murder. Time is running out in one of these cases where a man is sitting on death row. Jeff did nearly 10 years in prison before new scientific evidence was discovered that supports his story, that Chloe's injuries were from an accidental fall, not from abuse. And the original medical examiner has also changed his opinion. The pathologist who performed the autopsy in that murder case, his testimony is now under fire. So why is Jeff still in prison? We'll get to that after this. I never know what to expect when I get a call from someone in prison, especially someone on death row. What I usually never expect is for someone to sound cheerful. But then Jeff called me. Jeff is a character. When I first spoke to him, he went a million miles a minute and had such a positive, upbeat attitude. You um, sound like a pretty optimistic, energized person. Do you always sound like this or is this just because the potential of a new trial? All of it. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like this a lot, <laughs> but, um, you yeah, um, a new trial, uh, it should have happened. It should have happened years ago, back in 07, 08, at least, you know, when I started my post-conviction and originally. When I was researching Jeff's case, at one point, his website went down. I reached out to Injustice Anywhere, which created the website, and I informed them. Bruce Fisher, the executive director, responded, quote, the site is outdated and is on an old server. As a result, it crashed. Jeff's case has taken far too long to correct, end quote. So basically, Jeff's case is so old, he's been in prison for so long that it wasn't even on an updated server. So again, 
this just reinforced how wild it is to me that he's so positive. Why I'm able to stay this, you know, this way, I guess, because I know eventually I believe that truth, you know, truth finds light. I cannot imagine being sentenced to death for something I didn't do. You know, Maggie, it's, it's more it's more than that. It's something that didn't happen. There wasn't a crime at all. Jeff Havard was born in Natchez, Mississippi, November 11th, 1978. As boring as it is, <laughs> um, out on the river, river town, you know, right across from Louisiana. And born, uh, my mom was single when she had me. Uh, she was 19. It just turned, she turned 20 a week later. At about a year old, his mom met his stepfather and they moved around to Tennessee and then to Louisiana. But Jeff wound up leaving in his teens and went to live with his grandparents back in Mississippi. Um, how can your grandparents wound up raising you? Well, just the situation down in Louisiana where I was growing up and uh, it was just their stepdad and stuff. Um, it was kind of hard down there and schools were worse. So, you know, I came to Mississippi and plus it's always that's where I've always wanted to be. You know, I guess it was home, you know, it's where I was born and my grandparents, they were so supportive and they were kind of like, I was kind of like one of their kids, actually. Jeff says growing up, he was a, quote, typical teenager. He liked to party, but never got in any kind of serious trouble. What's a typical teenager like in uh, Mississippi, well, Louisiana? Well, <laughs> see, you have to be bad down here. No, I'm just like, you have to, it's, there's nothing to do here. <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's small, small town kind of stuff, but. It's the kind of thing that I miss now that I actually took for granted back then. Jeff says he spent a lot of his time working offshore on the Mississippi River. So to mm -hmm. a New Yorker <laughs> city person, I don't know what, you know, working <laughs> offshore means. So what, what were you doing? Well, uh, you know, um, you know, the bar, the, the big line boats that push barges up and down the river, you know, all the, yeah. just all the, all the harvest, you know, you push a lot of grain bars and stuff like that. In 1995, Jeff graduated high school. He didn't have huge plans afterwards. He figured he'd do the same thing a bunch of his friends were planning to do. Maybe uh, something in towing, you know, in boat, you know, on the river. But uh, like being captain or pilot out there. But uh, most everybody that I went offshore with back then, that's what they are now. They're they're pilots and captain. Great careers, you know. And I just think, well, wait, what if I would have stayed, you know, and hadn't got kidnapped, <laughs> you know, and this happened. In 2001, Jeff met Rebecca Britt, Chloe's mom. So tell me how you met, um, you know, tell me how you met Rebecca. How did that all happen? Well, just hanging out with uh, friends. I was actually uh, getting ready to go back off, back off to work. The next day or a couple of days following us, you know, there wasn't any, I don't even know. I think I got up to let her sit. You know, I got up out of a chair and I decided to sit on the, like a beanbag or something and let her sit down. And, you know, that wasn't anything, you know, like hello or something, you know, between us. Jeff went back offshore and a couple of days later, a friend called him. He said, you know, that girl that, you, you know, you were over here that night, the one you talked to and I had to place my memory. Okay, yeah. He said, well, she wants to, you know, talk to you when you get home. I said, okay, well, is she there around now? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get her for you and put her on the phone. And I, I guess it kind of started like that. Rebecca was a single mom. And as she later testified, she was in a bad living situation at the time. Jeff offered to have her and Chloe stay with him in his trailer on his grandparents' land. Just to get him out of that kind of 
you know, party central kind of place, if you know what I mean? And, and then it just kind of, you know, it, we were, this hadn't been very long that we were, you know, this had happened. And then, and then that, that happened in February. And so it's kind of short. Yeah. How long were you, yeah. How long were you together? Oh Lord. It was, it was probably, I want to say, we'll say around Thanksgiving of uh, 2001. And this happened in, you know, February. So it wasn't, it was but about three good months, maybe solid. February 21st, 2002 started as any normal one for Jeff and Rebecca. Basically, uh, we were going to watch Jurassic Park 3 and eat Rotel dip and just chill. And that was it. According to Rebecca's testimony, she left to get dinner ingredients. She was going to make burritos. Jeff was at home with six-month-old Chloe. He says Chloe spit up on herself and he decided to give her a bath. While taking her out of the bath, Jeff says she slipped from his arms and hit her head on the toilet. He quickly lifted her and she seemed okay besides crying. There was no bleeding, so Jeff soothed her and took her to bed. When Rebecca came home, she checked on Chloe and everything seemed fine. Jeff didn't say anything about the incident, it just didn't seem like a big deal. So Rebecca left again to go to Blockbuster and pick up a movie. This is when they had Blockbuster back then, when you actually had to go out and rent movies <laughs> back then. Right before the whole stream, right before everything started being streamed. Um, and Blockbusters were on every corner, basically. But when she returned, Chloe was having trouble breathing and was turning blue. Here's tape of Rebecca in her second police interview the following day. It's hard to hear, but she describes what happened. And I went to the video store, and I came back 20, 30 minutes later. He was in the bathroom, and I went in to check on my baby, and she was blue, and her lips were blue. And I screamed for him, and I picked her up, and I put her on the floor and CPR. And made sure there wasn't anything in her throat, and her throat was swollen shut. And I told him to get in the car and take us to the hospital. And he went and got a t-shirt and got in the car. And we went to the hospital. They took my baby, and while we were sitting there, he was insisted on going home and changing clothes. And I thought, he came and told me my baby was dead. Rebecca testified that one of the doctors came out and asked her who had been with Chloe before they brought her to the hospital. Jeff was the only one alone with her. Becky, you know, I asked him last night, uh, do you know who may have done anything to your door? Jeff is the only one I can think of. He was the only one with her. Is that, is that the only reason you can only think of Jeff is, is that he was the only one that was with her? Is that what you're talking about? He was, he was the only one there. That's when the deputies came and questioned Jeff. He would never be out of state custody again. Look, when they brought me in, I, this that night when they brought me in, um, they talked. 
they set me in this room for like four hours back there. Well, three, four hours, somewhere in there before they ever talked to me. They bring me in, and the first thing they tell me, Maggie, is uh, Chloe's dead. I mean, this is just exactly how they say it. They say, Chloe's dead, and she's been raped. Son, she's been ripped from end to end. I mean, it was gruesome, you know, and I just couldn't fathom, you know, either they're lying to me or something's terribly, terribly wrong. The officers told Jeff that Chloe had been raped. They asked him to explain this. Jeff said he can't. He had no idea. Then he said they threatened him to confess. You come clean right effing now with us or, you know, you're going to be on that. Ta- you're going to be executed up there on up there at Parchman. This is a death penalty case now. Blah, blah, blah. And my head's still spinning around that that she died. Right. I don't know. Sorry. <clears throat> but uh, my head's still wrapped around that. And I'm not even registering what they're saying about a sexual battery, anything like that. And and that that's all it's going to be about to them. The case became a death penalty case when the investigators alleged sexual assault. Hospital workers who examined Chloe in the emergency room testified that her anus was dilated, which indicated sexual abuse. I'm like, you know, this has to be, you know, back then they had that punk thing, you know, the Ashton Kutcher thing back then. Check it out. Get punked. You just got punked. What did you do to my house? I got punked. I was like, God, is this one of those episodes? Is he going to jump out in a minute or something? I'm not trying to make light of this, you know, but... Something's not adding up. It's bullshit, you know? But it wasn't. Dr. Stephen Hain, the medical examiner for the entire state of Mississippi, did the autopsy. He concluded the cause of death was shaken baby syndrome. Hain reported there was subdural hemorrhaging about several tablespoons of blood between the brain and skull. In his report, he also noted what he called an anal contusion, one centimeter. But he said nothing more about this in his report. It didn't stand out to him. Where is it at in the autopsy? If he thought that or or even a suspicion of it would be in there. In court, when Hain was directly asked by the prosecution what this bruise would be indicative of, he said it would be consistent with the penetration of the rectum with an object. The prosecution took this as evidence of assault and ran with it. One of the ER doctors also testified that when she saw Chloe, her anus was dilated about the size of a quarter, and there was a thin liquid drainage from it. She also said in her opinion, this was indicative of sexual assault or penetration. This doctor and another both mentioned an anal tear they noticed while trying to revive Chloe in the ER. The prosecution brought on a slew of expert witnesses and ER doctors and nurses to testify that Chloe was sexually assaulted. And the sexual assault is what made this a death penalty case. In Mississippi law, if a person dies during the commission of a felony, which includes rape and unnatural intercourse with a child under the age of 12, it becomes a death penalty case. The alleged sexual assault had everything to do with how they prosecuted Jeff. The prosecution's case was entirely built on the sexual assault. What they're saying the motive was, mm-hmm. it's that you killed her because she was allegedly crying because you allegedly assaulted her. Right, exactly. That's the whole, without that, that underlying felony, I just hate to say the word, but yeah. without that, there's nothing. And capital murder death penalty cases are supposed to be taken extra seriously because of the irrevocable nature of the sentence, death. Usually defendants are given money to hire an expert to testify in their defense, but Jeff wasn't. 
He requested an expert and was denied by the judge who said the state pathologist, Dr. Hain, should be plenty. That meant the only expert that testified was for the prosecution, Dr. Hain. The only evidence Jeff had going for him was a rape kit done on Chloe to compare biological samples taken from him and nothing matched. There was no semen, hair, skin, or fluid at all from Jeff on or in Chloe and vice versa. But the prosecution's story is that Jeff bathed her to get rid of this and was sexually assaulting Chloe. And when she started to cry, he violently shook her to stop her. It's important to note here that no one who knew or interacted with Chloe ever testified or said that they suspected Jeff had ever sexually or physically abused Chloe in the days and weeks leading up to her death or ever. Here's Rebecca again in the police interview. The interview was long, so I cut together some parts for time. Have you ever suspected that anything may have happened in the past by someone? No. How often does Jeff even bathe the day? Never. He's never bathed? Never. Have you seen that kind of strange that he took it upon himself to bathe a child while he was young? Jeff's trial only lasted two days. It took jurors 40 minutes to decide if Jeff was guilty of capital murder. On December 19, 2002, he was sentenced to death by lethal injection. I was, uh, I just turned 24 the month, a month before, um, yeah, a month before the death sentence. Oh. I mean, you were a kid. I mean, what was that like? Well, um... Scary as hell, I know that, but it, let's see. I was dead set on the fact that, oh my God, they're probably going to kill me like really soon. So yeah, that that was scary back then. That was real scary. So they're going to do what they're going to do. So yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's been maybe more scary than, than I've consciously tried, than I've consciously know, I guess. Yeah, well, I imagine you're you're still mm-hmm. in survival mode right now. So I imagine, you know, once all this is over, maybe then you'll process, like, how close to being executed you perhaps got. Maggie, it is... I, I don't know how I haven't beat my head into the wall yet. I mean, really. I mean, seriously. I know that sounds crazy, but it's... Uh, it's... It's... It's insane. Now, I don't even, I can't even put it in, in me. I, I've got all kind of words to explain all kind of things. <laughs> and um, I just, I've yet to put in it just in a, a cohesive narrative, I guess. Yeah. And then, you know, the murder charge alone, uh-huh. you know, that's, that's terrible for a child, a baby. But then you <laughs> have this yes. charge, this extra charge of, of sexually assaulting a baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, just having your name in the same paragraph as something like that is just, that's horrible enough for, but it was so hard because because of that accusation. It's so hard for people to, you know, they hear that accusation and then there's a wall. They don't hear anything else. And then 
Jeff told me something I thought I'd never hear. He said he was actually hoping for a death sentence. I felt it was better for me to, you know, to get to this point, to prove, you know, to be heard you know, about my innocence if I had a death sentence, just because of, the, you know, how severe that is. And, you know, people tend to listen more, you know, when you're up against that. Which is exactly what happened. In 2009, Jeff was appointed new post-conviction counsel, Mark Hicka and Graham Carnett, and everything changed. When Jeff first met his lawyers, he asked them to get out the autopsy report. He asked them to find where it described sexual battery in the autopsy. Where was it mentioned? They get it out and we're looking through it. And I said, you tell me anywhere in that autopsy it says the words sexual battery and their suspicion of or anything even close to that. And they're, you know, looking is like, well, no, it says not a word. I'm like, well, don't you think that should be in there if it, the guy even thought it could have happened or what? Well, yeah. But, and then I noticed that there was this recognition, this eyebrow raised by the lawyers, you know, that looked between each other like, what the hell? And I, you know, then it wasn't long after they went to go, they went to talk to him. And hence, boom, it, the case blew up after that, you know, and they've been there ever since. In his autopsy report, Dr. Hain never mentioned an anal tear that the two ER doctors said they saw. Actually, the autopsy says nothing about it, period. It doesn't say that it's abnormal. There's nothing noted. All it said that there was a one centimeter contusion now. Hain was specifically asked about it on the stand in 2002 during the original trial, and he confirmed he never saw one. He also never once mentioned that Chloe was sexually assaulted. In doing their due diligence seven years later, Jeff's new lawyers went and spoke to Dr. Hain about his findings. They were the first to actually go and speak to this Dr. Hain. They were the first to ever do that. I want to take a minute to thank Lori Howard, Jeff's longtime advocate, for helping me on this. Lori was absolutely amazing. And of course, Bruce Fisher from Injustice Anywhere, who helped get Jeff's case on the radar and where I first came across his case. Jeff's lawyer spoke with Hain in 2009, and in a declaration, he stated he could find no tears in her anus as the two other doctors said they saw. There was no sufficient evidence to conclude that a sexual assault had taken place, and the one centimeter contusion found in the infant's anus had numerous potential causes. Jeff's team had a formal deposition of Dr. Hain granted by a federal judge in November 2010. And this was a bombshell in the case, as this was the prosecution's whole theory, that Jeff killed Chloe because of the sexual assault. Hain also said he told prosecutor Ronnie Harper multiple times before trial and before he took the stand that he could not support findings of sexual assault. They know good and well, I've got affidavit right here, right here, right now, where Hain says, I told the district attorney and members of his office that I could not support a finding of that in this case. As Jeff's new lawyer started digging into his case in 2009, questions about Dr. Hain in other cases also started to arise. David, a legal firestorm could lead to new trials for hundreds of convicts in Mississippi. There are questions about the former state pathologist and his testimony could uproot more than a thousand cases. 
Dr. Hain was hired in Mississippi as a pathologist and either conducted or signed off on most of the state's autopsies. And that's a lot. The National Association of Medical Examiners considers more than 325 autopsies a year, a deficiency that would cost an office its license. Hain, he testified that he performed more than 1,500 autopsies every single year. He did that while also finding time to testify in criminal trials and working at hospitals. Besides Jeff's case, which we'll get to, Hain has mostly been defensive of his record, as he told reporters from WAPT, the ABC affiliate in Jackson. So you don't think there's anything wrong with your findings over no, the years? No. Uh-uh. Show me a case where it was incorrect. Can you name one? Can you name one? So all your cases are good. And, and as far as your hours go... Uh, you said that you didn't have any time off and you were always working. I'm not working. Seven days a week, holidays, weekends. And, you, and there was nothing wrong with that? Doing an autopsy a day? No. No. Actually, it would have been more like three or four autopsies a day. The bottom line is that his testimony has been called into question or outright debunked in several cases, including one against a 13-year-old boy who was convicted after Hain backed up the prosecution's theory that the boy and his older sister fired the same gun simultaneously to kill the sister's husband. The only case where the case was overturned was the, the two fingers on the trigger case, uh, Tyler Edmonds. Tyler Edmonds spent five years in prison until the Mississippi Supreme Court threw out Haynes' testimony, which led to Edmonds getting a new trial, which led to his acquittal. Edmonds doesn't mince words when he's talking about Hain with reporters. He says the now former medical examiner should be in prison. In Jeff's case, the new lawyers finally were able to consult independent experts, experts that should have been allowed at Jeff's original trial to rebut Hain. Now, I've had Dr. Oppoven and Dr. Lordson have looked at this, and they've looked at tissue samples, and there are there, that is not even a contusion there. It's basically um, um, venous congestion. It's basically where where you've been. Uh, it's like not rigor mortis, but like liver mortis, where the blood is pulled in the body and where it settles, and that's basically what it is. It's just. It's discolored because that's where the blood has been pooling all that time. Both Dr. James Lordson, former Alabama state medical examiner, and Dr. Janice Oppoven, a specialist in pediatric forensic pathology, said there is no evidence to support sexual assault and that there are many reasons that the anus could have been dilated, including gas in the gastrointestinal tract from resuscitation and general muscle flaccidity after death. Dr. Oppoven even went as far to say that she is very concerned that this case represents a serious miscarriage of justice. Outside experts also looked at the case and determined the cause of death was not shaken baby syndrome. You might remember us mentioning shaken baby syndrome in Rosa's case. Shaken baby syndrome is serious brain injury resulting from forcefully shaking an infant or toddler. In Jeff's case, this was the alleged cause of death that Dr. Hain testified to. However, with the change in modern science, it is believed that shaken baby syndrome may have been overdiagnosed. Today we look at a common diagnosis in child deaths, shaken baby syndrome. 
That syndrome is frequently used to build a case in court against alleged child abusers. But there's still disagreement among doctors, lawyers, and other experts about whether shaken baby syndrome is a diagnosis that's used too freely, sometimes landing innocent people in prison. In 2009, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommended using the phrase abusive head trauma and noted that the same symptoms can be caused by accidents and other injuries. Nearly 10 years after Jeff was convicted, multiple outside experts have looked at the case and said in light of new science, Chloe's injuries could have been caused by something other than being shaken vigorously like a short-distance fall. In 2013, the Clarion Ledger reported on shaken baby syndrome and covered Jeff's case. They had New York pathologist Dr. Michael Baden look at Haynes' findings. They reported that there was no evidence for sexual abuse or support for the shaken baby conclusion, consistent with what Jeff's experts also found. Hain told the Clarion Ledger that in light of this, quote, growing evidence, his shaken baby diagnosis was, quote, probably not correct because shaking alone isn't able to generate enough force to cause such injuries. He also stated this in an affidavit for Jeff's defense. And because of the new findings, Jeff was granted an evidentiary hearing. In 2018, his death penalty conviction was vacated. I've been in the friggin' twilight zone because... You know, because Hayne could have said another three more sentences that would have freed me, basically, back then. Which would have been what? Um, Well, um, you know, I know I'm testifying here today about sexual battery, but I didn't think that's what happened in this case, and uh, and I don't support that. You know what I'm saying? But he carried on. Like what he said now, you think he should have said it in the original trial? Oh, yeah. I mean, if that's what he thought all along, you know? And, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And Jeff says the same things with his original trial attorneys. They should have done what his lawyers are doing now. You know, and, it, and they and they finally, they they were the first ones to go talk to Hain, and look what's happened since then. When the lawyers back then, the trial should have went, went to talk to him, and they never did. So it's like my case is backwards. It's done in reverse, you know. And although his death sentence was thrown out, prosecutors insisted the murder case against him was still solid. Jeff's conviction was upheld and he was resentenced to life without parole. He was moved from death row to general population prison. I asked Jeff about spending 15 years on death row. Prisoners on death row are under constant surveillance. They're not allowed to take classes or get prison jobs. They're allowed an hour of time outside a day, and the rest of the time, they're in solitary confinement. I never touched my family until the hearing in 2017. Wow. All those years. You know, you survived that, God, for, you know, half my life almost, you know? So. Yeah. But, uh... Wow. I can't, I'm, you know, that's something too. Like, I can't imagine what being in isolation for that long is like and how you're, you're so, um, crazy. Normal seeming. <laughs> no, I mean, do you think, do you think it's just you say it? I'm cray cray. Just say it. <laughs> I mean, do you feel that way though? It, yeah, sometimes. I asked him how he passed the time. All those hours, day after day, year after year, alone. I don't know. I get by and listen to a lot of music. I love music. I love like I love bands like Zeppelin. That's my favorite, right? Uh, Alice in Chains.
a lot of the old mm-hmm. stuff from back in the day, Tool, you know, just, mm-hmm. just rock bands like that. Is Sorry, that the same I'm, kind of music you were listening to before you got locked up, or did your preference that, change? It's, it hasn't changed. <laughs> it hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, all the stuff that's out now or since 2002 or three. It's like, uh, I don't really know what that is because my music taste sort of froze at that moment, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do wonder. I, I told my grandma a long time ago, I said, Mama, if I, I said, I make it out of this, you know, standing up with half of my sanity, I will have accomplished <laughs> an Einstein you know, event. You know what I mean? I would have, I would have accomplished something great. You know what I mean? In perspective to my life. When Jeff first went to prison at 24, his family was all he had. His mom has been outspoken in her support for him over the years. Here she is speaking to WAPT, the ABC affiliate in Jackson in 2013, before his death sentence was overturned. It's it's pure hell knowing that unless something comes about that he could be laying there, you know, and and be put to death for something that didn't happen. What was that like for them to have their son convicted for being a Mm -hmm. baby murderer and rapist? You know, and a lot of times I think that um, it's, it's tougher on them because in a sense they're locked up with you. Does that make sense? But... I don't think it ever even crossed their mind. I, I've always had support of FAMP totally, totally, and um, never once thought thought that, you know, or believed that. They knew it had to be, you know, they some they got the wrong person, or they're just lying outright, or you know, something. They because it, people just can't put those two and two, you know, two together with me. That's that's the other thing that's kept me. You know, I've, I've got the support, you know, so. You know, I've been lucky and I've been, well, I've been blessed overall, you know, that I've got a good family. Two months to the day after his 2017 hearing, Jeff's grandma died. She never knew the outcome of the hearing, that in 2018, Jeff was removed from death row and that sentence was overturned. That's, that was hard to deal with and it still is. Um, but uh, that's tough too, losing people in here and you can't be... You know, you can't go back. You can't. You can't even grieve properly. For that, for God's, for God's sake, I, I haven't even grieved properly. Over Chloe, for that matter, just because it's been, you know, survive mode from that moment. You know, that yeah. that I'm basically detained that night. So you're still, to me, you're still processing what's even happening. You. <laughs> My God, you need to keep this recorded because that's it. That's exactly what it is. It really is. Jeff says even though his death sentence was overturned, his fight and his lawyer's fight isn't over. They are currently appealing the judge's 2018 ruling to keep Jeff's conviction despite the new evidence. And in the meantime, Jeff is thinking about finally taking up classes, possibly a welding certificate. He told me he's also gotten pretty interested in politics. Do you think that being in prison has made you a little more political. Do you feel Absol- sometimes you have to be? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Because it's, um, you know, let's face it, the prisoner, especially like um, condemned, you know, death row, there when it comes to rights and um, 
they're at the very bottom of the totem pole, you know, even below society, you know. So it, uh, I think that maybe I hated to suffer and anybody to suffer in that sense, but I think it's made me a more, way more open-minded person, I would say, just because it opened your eyes to the way the world is. You know, 9-11 had just happened prior to that, you know, in September. Oh, wow. So, yeah. so basically, you know, well, let me think. 9-11, so five months after 9-11, I've been locked up ever since. Five months after that. That's how long wow. I've been locked up. Yeah. That's weird because the world is so different now. I'm sure you've right. heard about, like, post-9-11 world. Oh, I see it on TV, and it's it's so weird. It's a different uh, world. I can I can see that much, yeah. When you get out, where do you think you'll wind up? Um, the um, the North Pole or something. <laughs> I get away from. <laughs> no, I think I'll. Um, uh, I'm definitely not staying in this state. Do you have plans to have your own family and have a kid? Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, absolutely. I I do. I. You know, but it's not its not something, I guess I don't want to dwell on it, but yeah, I would. But I look at where I'm at now. I'm 41, uh, and about to be 42 in November, actually. And, you know, if any, if anything, I'll be getting a late start, you know, and on things, you know, in life and career or whatnot. But hopefully the 40 is the new 20 or 30, as they say, you know, every, they come up with this new make people feel better about the number. <laughs> but Jeff says the main thing driving him is that he looks forward to the truth coming out. Chloe's, Chloe's family, they deserve that just the same as, um, you know, I deserve to be educated. Uh, and that's that's what drives me. That's it. That That's it. And that, you know, that's the priority. And then everything else falls in. If you want to help Jeff, go to freejeffreyhavard.com where you can find a petition to free Jeff, all case documents, and ways to contact Jeff. Y'all, if you like this show, please consider joining our Patreon. It shows us how much you care and helps us continue to tell these stories. Plus, you get some awesome bonuses. Also, please rate and review. The more reviews, the more attention, and the more likely word about these wrongful convictions will reach the right people. Unjust and Unsolved is produced and reported by me, Maggie Freeling, with editorial consulting from Amber Hunt. For more information and resources, go to unjustandunsolved.com. You can find Unjust and Unsolved on Twitter and Instagram at Unjust Unsolved and join the discussion on Facebook at Unjust and Unsolved Podcast Discussion Group. Unjust and Unsolved is a production of the Obsessed Network. You can find all their shows at obsessnetwork.com.